Please open your copies of God's Word to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to Luke and to the chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we read the first 27 verses, the, the first half, roughly, of chapter 19 together. Verses 1 to 27, although it is with the Lord's gracious help that we will examine together the first 10 verses of chapter 19. So Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 27. And may the Lord help us to read and understand the words of life. Luke 19 and verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree, to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, 
Thou takest up that thou laidst not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury, with interest? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. Let us pray together before we come to the preaching of God's word. O God, we give thee thanks for thine holy and infallible and inerrant word. And what we've read this evening, Lord, that historical account of the conversion of Zacchaeus and Lord of that parable, the parable of, the, of those pounds of gold. And Lord, we must come away from the reading of thy word and, and stand amazed at thy mercies and thy power and to stand in fear of thy righteous austerity. And Lord, we do pray that thou would help us to drink in the word of life, that thou would open our hearts to receive thy word, to grant us teachable spirits, that thy spirit will mold our souls and our consciences and our characters, Lord, and to tear out the world that is in them and to grant us more of Christ, that thou would give unto me all that I need to preach Christ and him crucified, Lord, even from this wonderful story of the conversion of this tax collector. Pour out thy Spirit unto us, among us, and in us, and grant me that unction. Lord, loosen my tongue that I may speak freely, and may we all bring glory to Jesus Christ. For to that end we are gathered, for that end the preaching goes forth. Save souls, Lord. Bring glory to thy name. In Jesus' name. Amen. As the adults among us uh, should know, it's tax season. It's time to put, fill in the tax forms. And some of you are looking at me thinking uh, we did that weeks ago, and that's good for you. Uh, I'm getting around to it this week. But it is tax season, time to fill in those forms. I had the bits of paper, uh, um, normally online these days or in an app. And we hope to get something back, and filling in those forms is not a, an enjoyable task. Maybe there are one or two amongst us that really enjoy that, and that's good for you. Uh, enjoying those forms, filling them in. The only enjoyable aspect, of course, is, is getting something back from the taxman. 
but also what's not enjoyable is the paying of taxes in the first place. I'm, I'm sure those that like filling in the forms don't equally like paying those taxes and the various taxes that are be, to be found. But now if you go back to 2,000 years in the context of chapter 19 that we were reading from, that brings us into the Roman Empire. And when you think of the Roman Empire, you might think of soldiers, of armies, of wars, of emperors, of empire, and of course you'd be absolutely right. But what paid for those soldiers, and for those wars, and for the emperors, and the expansion of the empire? Taxes. It's funded by taxes. And the reason for the expansion of the empire was to gain more areas to tax more products to, to find, more natural products, copper mines that you could take over and, and then tax those that would run the copper mines for you. And then when the copper was exported, you could then pay tax at each port that it was brought in. And of course, the, the empire and the emperor all got their cut. Sounds a little bit, little bit like a protect, protection racket in some ways, and probably it was. And as you expanded the kingdoms, expanded the empire, I should say, and, and even when you had good relations with, a, with, with a, a bordering kingdom, you could make them into a vassal kingdom and expect tribute from their king. So you could say, well, you remain on your throne, but just make sure you've got a generous tribute to the glory of Caesar, something that did happen in, in Israel, in, in the greater area of Israel, which is how, how Herod was able to remain in the kingdom of of, of or those areas that he and his brother Philip ruled. And they taxed everything, as I mentioned. Uh, there, was a, there was a tax on the roads. There was a, a poll tax. Everyone must pay a tax. Uh, a tax uh, on merchant, merchants and everything they, they did. So it was an important, and it was a successful part of the, of the system in Rome. And then when Rome expanded and took over those three uh, parts that we know, Judea, Idumea, and Samaria. We might call Judah and Edom and Samaria. And they took them over fairly recently, 6 AD. So after the birth of Christ. And it was set up as a, as a protectorate, as a, as a Roman province or three provinces. And they were all under a Roman governor or prefect. The sixth of whom we know, Pontius Pilate. We've not heard of the others but we know of him. And so this income tax, the poll tax, the toll taxes, people moving goods and themselves in and out of the lands, it was a great money-making scheme for the empire, for the Gentiles. The Jews weren't necessarily, as a nation, getting rich on this. They were getting poorer. They had to pay all these taxes. They were happy to pay their temple tax and their tithing, but then they, had the, then they had the Roman authorities on top of this. And so it's not just we that do not like taxes. The Jews hated these Roman taxes. So they hated the taxes. They hated the tax system. So woe unto any Jew that would become part of that tax system. And they became as hated as the Romans were. In fact, worse. They weren't just part of a hated tax system. They, they were traitors to their own country. Which brings us to the traitor and to the sinner. So might stay the, 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 the backstabber that, that we have in our, our story in verses 1 to 10. 
Zacchaeus. Maybe his friends called him Zach. And if anyone's called Zach in the meeting this evening, they need to listen very carefully. They won't be tested afterwards, but realize that this, this man here, this man was called Zach, and this man came for a meeting with Christ, and this is what you and we all are doing tonight. Coming to meet with the Lord, not just to hear a story or, or not listen while the preaching goes forth, but to learn and listen very carefully. What did this Zach do? And do thou likewise. Now, Zacchaeus is, is a Roman version of a, a Hebrew word. It's only a name, sorry, a Hebrew name. It only appears, I believe, a couple of times in the Old Testament. Zachai is his name. Zachai, Ezra 2 and verse 9, speaks about the children of Zachai being 703 score. This Zacchaeus is a tax collector, a publican, collecting the public taxes on behalf of the Roman state. That's his job, and as we've mentioned, it was, a, it was a, a hated position. The other Jews did not like it, so he was an outcast. And as I mentioned, he was seen as a traitor, as an outcast. And so they wouldn't have been really part of normal Jewish society. But we also see that he's a chief tax collector. He, he's an important tax collector. He has tax collectors under him. And, and, and it is very possible because this was all like a semi-privatized business. There was a very capitalist in many ways, the Roman system. I mean, the Roman, the Roman imperial system. And so he obviously bought a large area uh, of taxes uh, and areas that he could tax on behalf of the government, and he would pay them the tax up front that they wanted, and then it was up, for him, up to him to collect those taxes, and of course a decent margin on the side for himself. Well, we also know that many tax collectors would add an extra margin onto that margin uh, just to earn more than they needed to earn. Which brings us to the third point, that he was a tax collector, yes. He was a chief tax collector, so he was an important man, no doubt had his own tax collecting business, but he was a rich chief tax collector. And as he himself confesses, because it is a confession, when he says, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold." there in verse 8. He's not saying it might be the case that, it's more the case I have done it and I will restore them fourfold. He had wor worldly wealth. He had money, he had gold coins, he no doubt had more than one house, he had servants and slaves. He had worldly status, well, amongst the Romans anyway. He was one of them. But having worldly wealth and worldly status was nothing because he was in great debt towards God. He owed God more than he ever could pay. There are people who would be in debt to a tax collector and they would maybe have to sell off their good clothing, maybe sell off even, even any property they had just to be able to, to pay off those taxes uh, and maybe even uh, do extra jobs to pay off and get out of that debt. But the sort of moral and spiritual debt that Zacchaeus had, he could never pay off. Even though he was rich in worldly things, he had nothing to pay with because he did not have Jesus Christ. And on this particular day, 
in the town of Jericho. And as Jesus is entering Jericho and he's passing through Jericho, would be Zacchaeus's day. It will be the day when Zacchaeus, would, who is the chief of sinners, a chief of publicans, would have all of his sins paid for in full. And he would be saved. That is the title of the sermon this evening. A chief of sinners saved. Thinking of him as somebody far worse than yourself. Someone far worse than you. Uh, Which of you is a traitor? Which of you is a traitor to your own nation? A traitor to your own religion? And maybe we are to some degree, but not like this chief of sinners. Not like this Zacchaeus. But what do we first see? As we open up these ten verses, we see something remarkable. We see firstly Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus. This man, this, this traitor, this man no doubt filled with love for money and covetousness, has a desire to see Jesus. You see this in verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And that word sought means a seeking, and he, seeking, he seeks with desire. He desires to see Jesus. He, his, what is his motivation? Curiosity. Well, it would seem to be a curiosity who he was. He says, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was. No doubt he had heard. He had heard from maybe friends and from family. He'd heard about the preaching of Jesus of Nazareth. No doubt he'd heard of many miracles of this Jesus of Nazareth. And it had piqued his desire to take a look at who this, this, this man was, this, this prophet, this miracle worker. But he was unable. He could not see Jesus. Why? Because he's small. This Zacchaeus is a short man, and he could, not, he could not see above the heads and shoulders of the crowd. They were lining the streets, they were, they were surrounding Jesus, and he wanted to have a look at this man. But others got in his way. Other people got in the way of him seeking Jesus, and he did not let that hinder him. He did not allow anybody to get in the way of him and Jesus Christ. And so what did he do? He ran. Seeking to see Jesus being foiled at the first attempt, he does not give up. Do not give up in seeking for Christ. And he ran. He put in effort. Okay, well, imagine, it doesn't describe who, who Zacchaeus is, but we can well imagine, I can imagine, that it was a man that was, shall we say, comfortably built, if he was rich and wealthy, that he maybe wasn't the most athletic of men, and therefore he was doing something that he wouldn't naturally do, sprinting down a public street. But he ran, it's it's very clear, it says, and he ran before, he ran ahead of the crowd. He was not going to lose this opportunity. Even though in worldly terms people might say, this chief publican, what is he doing running on the street? And 
And so he uses that brain, that great brain of his that can calculate percentage upon percentage of percentage with added percentage and could quickly do that for, for any tax that was being dealt with before him. And now that brain that would even add, of course, those unlawful and sinful personal margins. And such a brain is now used to try to figure out how can he as a short guy even get a look, even to take a look. And whom is he going to look at? He's going to look at this man that can preach like no man could preach and a man who could lay his hands upon somebody and they could be healed that the blind can see, that the deaf can hear, and he wants to look at Jesus. Does he want to look at his cloak? No. Does he want to see how tall he is? No. He wants to look into the face. He wants to see him. And so even if he was able to look over the shoulders, he would not get what he desires. He runs, he sees a tree, and he knows that if he climbs up that tree, that he will have a great vantage point. So thirdly, he climbs. He climbs up that tree again. It's as if he's cast aside any idea of, of so social norms. He said, what would, you wouldn't just do that. Running down the street, climbing a tree. You know, as if he was a, as if he was a boy again, if he was a young, a young teenager. So that's far beneath him to react like that. And normal, normally, that would indeed be the case, it would seem. But not today. Not today. He's casting aside those, uh, those norms of society because he has a greater need. He's not looking to please man today. He's looking for the needs of his soul. He's looking to see Jesus. So he climbs up this sycamore tree, tree related to the fig tree. He climbs up it. Something probably he hadn't done since he was a boy. And he's able to climb up that tree. And when he climbs up that tree, he's able then to look down upon the moving crowd that's now moving towards him. And he sees. Zacchaeus' efforts to see Christ are now being rewarded. And much more greatly than he could have ever have hoped and thought. As we know from what we've read. But do notice with me that none of this effort could actually save Zacchaeus, of course. Just the desire within him to see Jesus, that, that could not save him. The running down the streets, the climbing of the tree, the looking, none of that could save him. But the diligence brought him into the presence of Jesus. The diligence brought him in a place where he could see Christ and Christ could see him and he could be saved. Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus is our first point. But the second point that we look at this evening, and it's a more beautiful point, is Jesus' desire to fellowship with Zacchaeus. The desire of the Lord Jesus to have fellowship with this chief of sinners. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, as he, as he comes to the tree, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. 
And now the perspective changes. The point of view in the, in the narrative now changes. We've been, as it were, we have been desiring with Zacchaeus. We've been running along the street with him. We've climbed up the tree with him. We're focusing upon Zacchaeus, but now we're going to focus upon the Lord Jesus. Christ came to the tree. He comes to the tree and he stops still. And you can well imagine the whole crowd around him having to suddenly stop with the Lord. Maybe they're asking themselves, why did he stop? And people are hushing each other, trying to listen in. You can well imagine. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he stops to speak to the worst of the people in Jericho. As I mentioned, a traitor, religiously, spiritually immoral man, a tax collector, a sinner. Verse 7 explains the reaction of the people. And when they saw it, although it's the reaction of Zacchaeus also, they all murmured, they moaned, they muttered amongst themselves that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner, a public sinner, an immoral man that they would look down upon, that they would talk about, that they would despise, even spit on in the streets. And these people were put together in one group with prostitutes. With the lowest of women, these were the lowest of men, publicans and harlots. But Christ did speak to him. Christ looked at him, and Christ spoke to him. What hope is then offered to us? That as we seek Christ, that Christ would then desire to have fellowship with us. If Christ would willingly speak to one such as this, this Zacchaeus, Would Christ not also be willing to speak to you and to have that desire of fellowship with you? Notice that it was Christ that made the first contact. He it is that looked up. Zacchaeus wasn't in the tree whistling and shouting and waving his arms. He just wanted a glimpse of Christ, but Christ wanted much more. Christ looked up, knowing where Zacchaeus was sitting. Christ saw him. He made contact with Zacchaeus. And Christ spoke to him. And Christ commanded Zacchaeus to get down quickly from the tree. He says, make haste, come down. For today I must abide at thy house. Christ invites himself into Zacchaeus' life, into Zacchaeus' heart, into Zacchaeus' house. He will feast with this wicked sinner. Not to confirm him in his sin, but to draw him out of his sin. And Zacchaeus is now forced, instead of being a passive observer, observing Christ from a safe distance, but to have an active exchange with the Lord Jesus. To not just to listen to the word of Christ, but to answer it. 
And no doubt when you hear the preaching, often the Word of God and the promises of God and the gospel invitations that go forth demand a response. The, the, the command of Christ, make haste and come down. And if Zacchaeus was just to stand there and say, well, I can't climb down. Well, you can. You climbed up, you can climb down. And the Lord himself commands you, you are able to do so. A number of points that happen as we read this narrative. Remarkable points. Have you noticed that he knew Zacchaeus' name already? As far as we're concerned, here we have this, this prophet, this man of God who goes into a town and there's a man just in, this, in, in the tree, an unknown man as it were. But he walks up to the tree and calls him by name. Of course, Christ knows every person by name. You might say, well, I don't know if I am one of Christ's people. You don't know if, I'm, if Christ will have me as his redeemed. I don't know if I can say that Christ is, is my redeemer, but Christ knows you already. He created you. And every minute of every day, he keeps you alive. He sustains all things, including you, by the word of his power. So he knew Zacchaeus by name, he knew who Zacchaeus was, he knew Zacchaeus' sins, he knew Zacchaeus' wickedness, he knew Zacchaeus' desires, and he also knew that Zacchaeus was lost, for he was come to seek and to save the lost. And so Christ had come into Jericho to seek and save Zacchaeus. You know, the parables of Christ's meeting with, with Zacchaeus and Christ's meeting with you and me through the preaching of the Word is very similar. There are many things that are the same. We call them parallels. And you might be just like Zacchaeus. Your name doesn't have to be Zach or anything. But it helps. It's that you might be just like him, but that you are curious to see Jesus... You're curious to know who this Jesus is, but you are unable to see him clearly. And so you make some extra effort to clear that view, to, to make it possible that you could see him. You come under the preaching of the Word of God. Maybe you then read and study the Scriptures and, and books about the Scriptures at home. You're looking for commentaries that you want a clearer view of who this Christ is. And, and all of these things indeed help you to climb that tree and help you to look more clearly and to have a clear picture of who Jesus is. And as you hear the preaching and as you read, you understand this, that Christ is speaking to you. Did you know that? That under the preaching of the Word of God, that God is speaking to everyone. Personally. Hence the use of the word thou. Thou in the commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's, a, that's an individual word. Thou, the singular. Thou must repent and believe. There, there we have that gospel command. 
Again, it's a personal thing that goes forth. And it goes to you personally. And Christ also wants you to react to his word. When? Verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. The answer is immediately. The biblical examples that we have for the sinner to come to salvation is to react immediately when the word of God goes forth. Because if you don't react... When Christ speaks to you, he is the risk that is run for your heart, that you will harden your heart in unbelief. In Hebrews, Hebrews 3, Paul quotes from Psalm 95, and he quotes this. He says, while it is said, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Zacchaeus understood enough from what the Lord Jesus was saying when the Lord Jesus said, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now we cannot presume that Zacchaeus knew the Bible, but if he did, no doubt such a verse might come into his head. Today, if you will hear his voice, Zacchaeus heard his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. On the contrary, he obeyed the gospel command of Christ. What, says, what does it say there in verse 6? It says, And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And no doubt, and I'll be careful with putting emotions and experiences into Zacchaeus's head and words into his mouth that are not revealed in the word, but we can well imagine that there were a mixture of emotions in a similar way that Peter, when Peter had that experience of Jesus Christ performing that miracle upon his boat and he falls down before him and, and says, Lord, be gone from me for I am an unclean man. You can well imagine that there's something in his heart that is doing this and yet see the acceptation of Christ to the sinner, the receiving of Christ by the sinner that it led to joy. <coughs> and Christ desires you to get down from your tree. To get down from your tree. And maybe that tree is a picture of you keeping distance from Christ. You'd like to look down upon Christ, not look down upon him in a bad way, but look upon Christ uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in a pious way, desiring to look upon him, but not desiring to get too close to him. That might be because you have a guilty conscience. Because you're a sinner, you understand that you need your sin dealing with, but you dare not, like Peter, go too close to holiness. But Christ's whole intention on this day in Jericho and this evening in Calgary is to seek and to save the dirty sinner. The only place that a sinner should go, as it were, for cleansing is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that tree may, as it were, be that holding Christ that is a distance. 
But you getting down from that tree is certainly a picture of you needing to humble yourself before Christ, to come down to meet Jesus, and as we see here, to bring him into your house. You are indeed not worthy to receive Jesus. Zacchaeus here doesn't think that he is worthy at all, but it's an obedience to the command of Christ himself. You are not worthy. That's why you need saving. Zacchaeus was not worthy, which is why he needed the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a gracious Lord that approaches you in and with his word. And it is your responsibility to make haste to come down and to receive him joyfully. That is ever the case in the Old Testament. The people of God gather together in the presence of God except for that one day of atonement where there is to be national mourning and repentance and every other day is a day of coming into the Lord's presence with joy. And this is what we see fulfilled here in Zacchaeus. Verse 6, he makes haste, he comes down. He humbles himself and he receives him joyfully. Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus, then Jesus' desire to fellowship with Zacchaeus. Thirdly, Zacchaeus is turning from sin. He's turning from sin. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation... I restore him fourfold. Those verses there in verse 8, I would suggest to you, do not, are not spoken on the street, but actually in Zacchaeus' house. And why do I think that? Well, I don't think that because the Bible says so. In verse 9, the Lord Jesus says, This day is salvation come to this house. He might say to this household, but he says to this house, he's invited himself to come and sup. With, with Zacchaeus, and now he says, and now we see what Zacchaeus is saying, and we believe in his house. In any case, what's the most important thing? Is Zacchaeus accepts Christ's inviting himself into his house, into his life. And as he comes into, into contact with Christ, what, is the, what are the first words that come out of his mouth? Repenting words, words of repentance, word of a godly sorrow, word of words that would desire to make things right, to put things right. He's confessing his sin before Jesus. He's confessing his sinful ways. And what do we understand here when he talks about he's going to give his goods away to the poor and anything that's been done by fraud, he will restore him fourfold. What do we see as the God of Zacchaeus' life? It is money, it is wealth, it is gold, it is possessions, as it is for many. It is for many. An idol. Not a golden idol, but an idol of gold, of money. And this is what he confesses before Christ. His love of money and his selfishness he now abandons because he has something, he has someone who's worth far more than 50,000 imperial tax contracts, worth far more than all of them. And if he could live a thousand lives, what he has received in Jesus is worth far more 
and promises to give away half of his wealth to those who need it, where he has been dishonest. Lord, where I have been dishonest, I will pay them back. I won't just pay them back, but I will give them back fourfold. Compensation upon compensation upon compensation. This is concrete evidence, brethren and sisters, that a supernatural miracle has taken place in the soul of this tax collector. Paul teaches us this in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Zacchaeus had woken up that morning as an unrepentant sinner, as a, as a man still in his sin, and he was an unforgiven sinner. The wrath of God was still upon him. That love of money that we see expressed in these verses still ruled his heart. His conscience was a stranger to grace. And yet when this man went to sleep on this day, he went to sleep as one of Christ's, as a Christian, as a redeemed of the Lord, someone with a soul and a heart washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, having peace with God, having God as his Father, having the Son as his Savior, having the Spirit as his Comforter. He was a new man. And when they called him a sinner, we may call him saint. And in terms of earthly wealth, yes, at least 50% poorer. Obviously, how many, how many pounds of gold that the man possessed, we don't know. But he was beginning to give it away at least. And he was going to repay all those other things that he had done. So yes, in, in worth, earthly wealth, he was a poorer man in, in, in terms of status. It might be less. Maybe he would leave that job. Or maybe he would start doing that job in a godly way and would, would, would cause many of his colleagues to suspect him. But you know what it is that he has in exchange? He is now the recipient of the unsearchable and eternal riches of Jesus Christ. He has exchanged that which is temporary, that which moth, uh, uh, the moth can destroy, as it were, that rust can destroy, that thief can take away, that you have no eternal possession of. He has given up to obtain eternal and divine riches of Christ to have for himself the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to have for his comforter and friend the eternal Son of God. And Zacchaeus turns from his sin. The first thing that we see is that when he does come down, he hears the word of Christ and he obeys that word of Christ. As Christ, when he says, Repent of your sins and believe on me. Cast all your sins upon me and I will wash you. Cast your cares upon me. I will help you for I care for you. And he answers, obediently answers. There's, there's no other question. He doesn't sit in that tree and say, Lord, make me come down. 
and say, Lord, I'm not coming down until, until the bow breaks. No. He comes down because Jesus says come down. And he comes joyfully to the Lord. There are some would say that if you come immediately with joy before the Lord, well, that's like one of those seeds that just lands on shallow ground and, and it joyfully receives the Lord, certainly not in this case. So that's not a hard and fast rule. No, that's an example of four different types of heart that receive the word well or wrongly. He believes, he obeys, he has joy, and then he has conviction of sin. So there is no cookie-cutter approach to hearing and receiving the gospel unto your salvation. No. But they are elements. That we hear the command, we obey the command, we have joy in receiving Christ, and we have conviction of sin and we confess it before Christ. So Zacchaeus, he desires to see Christ. Christ desires to see Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus turns from his sin and turns to Christ. And as we close, let us hear Christ's approving declaration. It says two things here in verse 9. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. We talk about repentance and faith. And we must because that is the gospel command and invitation. But we should say that repentance and faith are the way of receiving the person of the gospel. Because it is all about Jesus Christ. It is not a religious ritual of repentance or penance and receiving in some way, it is an actual receiving of Christ. And repentance is all part of the, the not only the, the initial experience of Christ, but the continuing experience of Christ. The what is it that comes between us and God? Sin. What is it that Christ would have us do away with? Our sin. What has Christ come for to deal with our sin? What has his blood been shed for to wash away our sin? And so, so it's not as though we have to in some way improve our lives before we come to Christ. No, we come as sin-laden sinners to Christ that he would deal with us. It is the person that we have. And when we trust that he will do that for us, because he has promised to do so when we come to him, that we receive that washing that he cleanses us, that we receive the person of the gospel. And he makes us ready to be brought before God, his Father, to be justified, to be declared righteous by God because Christ's blood has paid for your sin and his blood has washed your conscience and soul and he brings you to his Father to be adopted by him. And that's why Christ says, as he enters into this house, as he does that gracious work in the heart of Zacchaeus, he says, this day is salvation come to this house. He is the salvation. 
Christ is your salvation. Salvation personified, coming into the house of Zacchaeus. Has salvation come to your house? Has Christ entered in to your house, to the house of your soul, your body, into your household? Has the Lord saved you? Is he saving others in your household? Have you sought to meet Jesus? Have you endeavored? Have you run? Have you climbed? Have you looked? Or are you keeping him at a distance? Are you afraid of embracing Christ? Of having true gospel joy? Well, of course you shouldn't. Why would you? Secondly, what's, what the Lord Jesus points out, he says, this day is salvation come to this house for so much as he, he also is a son of Abraham. Now, we don't know who Zacchaeus' father was. So what does he mean that suddenly this man, this tax collector, can look back a couple of thousand years and, and declare that this, that this Abraham, the father of the faithful, is his father? Well, exactly that. Because Abraham is the father of the faithful. What was Abraham? Abraham was a, a pagan sinner saved by God's grace by believing in the promises of God. And that's what we see with Zacchaeus. No, he wasn't a pagan, but he was living like a pagan amongst the Jews. And he believes the promises and the word of God. Say, so what were gospel promises there? Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. That he would have a meeting with the Lord, the Savior. That he would obey him. And that is enough to meet with Christ. And he's now declared, he who was an outcast, Zacchaeus an outcast from Jewish society, more Roman than Jewish, but he is now declared by Jesus to be a true Israelite indeed. A true Israelite is an Israelite, a Jew that truly believes that is a saved Jew. Nathaniel, a true Israelite, a saved Jew, on declaring him to be the spiritual child of Abraham. Not only the father of the nation, but the, our father in the faith, the spiritual father, by example, of all those that are saved by faith. Thirdly and finally, we see the success of the gospel. We've seen salvation through the gospel, sonship in the gospel, and thirdly, success of the gospel. We see that there in verse 10. That wonderful truth. A glorious truth about Jesus Christ and the gospel. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And you might say, preacher, I know that I'm lost. And I preach to you this evening a Savior that is seeking you. He came to seek and save the lost. That is his work. Let no man stand in the way of you and Christ. As Zacchaeus, let no man stand between him and Christ. Let no man stand between you and Jesus. For he says here, this is his job description. This is his glory. This is his mission. 
The Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. Can you say, I am lost? I am lost in sin. I am a sinner. I need my sin dealing with. I need to have peace with God. I need to have my conscience at peace. Yes, everyone should be able to say that, that we have sinned. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against each other. And here we have the solution. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. But notice with me, we started off by observing how Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. But now we close with that glorious gospel truth that it was Christ who sought Zacchaeus. He says, I was come to seek and save the lost. And so all those things that Zacchaeus done, had done to get a better view of Jesus, well, we could say, but that was all Jesus is doing. Yes? That the Lord drew Zacchaeus into that tree. Yes. That the Lord drew Zacchaeus to look upon him. Yes that he was coming to Jericho to seek and save Zacchaeus. It was the Lord's work. Zacchaeus, a lost man. And without Christ, lost in sin and heading to a lost eternity, an eternity of God's wrath. But Zacchaeus, the unbelieving sinner, the publican, what does he become in this one day? He becomes a saved man, yes, he becomes a child of Abraham, yes. He becomes a child of God, yes. And he becomes justified. He is purified. You know, that's what Zacchaeus actually means, the name. The justified one. And justified in the sense of purified of sin. And so for all these years of his life, he was living contrary to his own name. But now he could. He could have some of the gospel in his name. With our eldest son, we gave him the name Joshua. It comes from the Hebrew Jehovah Shua. Jehovah saves. His middle name, Yohanan, is Jehovah is gracious. As I've always said, he has the gospel in his two names. Jehovah saves and Jehovah is gracious. Zacchaeus. Some would translate that Zachai as being God has purified me. And that is very true in the case of this publican soul. We close with this truth. The Lord never changes. The Lord is still seeking and saving the lost. What he did for Zacchaeus he is able and he is willing to do for any of us. And so when the Lord, when Lord's command goes forth to you and he preaches through the preacher and says that you are to repent, why do you not repent? Obedience to the gospel call leads to the salvation of your soul. That is no work in you. That is obedience to the call of Jesus. Be obedient for your soul's sake and for the glory 
of Jesus. Amen. Let us briefly pray. We thank Thee, merciful God, for the glorious gospel. We thank Thee for the mercies of God once again revealed unto us in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, we do thank Thee, Lord, that we have such a glorious Savior, such a merciful and kind and patient Lord. We thank Thee for His love. We thank Thee that those of us who are saved that Jesus sought us and saved us. That he has come to seek and save the lost. Oh, Lord, melt the hearts of those hearts that are hardened. That they would hear the truth of the gospel and the truth of the Savior. Seeking and finding and saving to the glory of his name. We pray for grace and mercy to be granted to every soul this evening that that seed of the word of God may be planted into their hearts, that it may be watered by the Spirit of God, and that it may grow forth into fruit, eternal fruit, unto eternal life, to the glory of God. Amen.